Welcome back to the Swirl Suite, everybody. So this week on the show, we have the Bubbleista. If you own a business, if you have a career in wine, if you have any sort of brand, you need to listen to this entire episode. If you don't know, well, we didn't know, the Bubbleista, Devon, is a wine law attorney. And she schools us down. She schools us down. Listen to this entire episode. Before it gets started, as usual, please subscribe. Hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast. Follow the Swirl Suite and all of the co-hosts. Follow Divine at the Bubbleista and enjoy this episode. Cheers. Well, welcome to the Swirl Suite, everyone. We're back at it on this beautiful day in the DMV area. And we have our co-host hailing from Paris. Uh, Tanisha Townsend, we got Sarita today, and Leslie will be joining us a little later. Welcome to the Swirl Suite, everyone, and sit back, relax. We have a great guest um, this evening, so we're going to jump right into it. Hey, hey, ladies, what y'all been doing this weekend? Hey, hey. I haven't been doing so anything tell me. exciting. It's It's been raining all weekend, so I've been in the house. Same, same, same. <laughs> What'd you say, Tanisha? It's been hot. So, like, I can't function. It's been in the 90s for, like, the past week. Um, I think that's our, that's our um, whole situation. Yeah, but y'all have AC. So, oh. I oh. do not. Okay. So, I've been hot and I can't do anything. I'm spending too much money because I need to eat out because I can't turn on the stove, not the oven. I scrambled eggs the other day and I was going to pass out. <laughs> Like that eggs don't even take that long, and it's just a stove. I was like, I'm gonna just scramble this egg right quick. It's so hot in here. Between the time I took a shower and then got dressed, I'm sweating. Now where am I supposed to go? I need another shower, and I got to do this whole process again. Oh no! So I have decided. Please tell me you have a summer. a cute little fan or something. I have three fans. Okay. Okay. Mm. They just blowing hot air around my face. Oh my god! No. Oh the man, how are you sleeping? I wouldn't be able to sleep. I mean, I'm not gonna say because I don't want to encourage this kind of behavior. But <laughs> what nude? No, I have AIDS or something. Oh, oh, okay, okay. I mean, I, I mean, wasn't I sure what are, you know what those AIDS were. Podcast, but still, you know. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure what those AIDS were. I, I right, okay. we could have gone. Okay. Right. never mind. It, it could have right. gone left. Never mind. <laughs> right, I was like, right. I, I, did you have two legs? I mean, no, like, you know what? See, I mean, you left it up to our imagination. It's almost worse. Than I, I did. Thought it was, I so. mean, this isn't the After Dark episode. So it is I'm not the After Dark episode. Did. No, it's not After Dark for you. I mean, it is. <laughs> no, this is the last <laughs> time I'm doing this. Next summer, I'm getting. Um, I'm gonna get a little air conditioning. So mm. Nice. Oh, if it makes you feel any better, so my car is is done for. I'm very sad about what? it, but it, it it pretty much uh, died on me. Um, it's not an old car, but long story short, there was a recall. Anyway, long story short, my car is done. So I am carless. So we're surviving on one car right now. It is, um, it's challenging, but I don't really have anywhere to go. So it's not too bad. It's just having that constant thinking of um, how am I going to get there? <laughs> that that mm-hmm. constant feeling of how I'm gonna get there. Um, 
and my husband's car does not have AC. So <laughs> we've been together a lot. It's a lot of togetherness. <laughs> and well, um, he's just heated. has it ever had AC? Like they, or did it just go out? And he was just like, oh. you know what? He the type of dude that don't even care. He cares about all the other stuff and the AC he probably never checked for. So <laughs> long story short, it rained like torrential rain over the weekend and we were out. Yeah. So it, it's like we couldn't we couldn't roll the windows all the way down because the rain was so bad. Then we rolled them up and I was like, I, I, I can't breathe. <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot. And I was like, I'm going to look back on this moment and laugh. But right now I'm really, really irritated. So it was just nothing's funny today. Yeah. So again, why I haven't gone anywhere. But yes. So I I, I feel you. I feel you. Well, it was a good weekend for the bisons. We slaughtered the more spell house because you know you got to add spellman because they were only doing for more house. However, they lost 65 to 17 to the mighty bison. Oh, wow. Did you so, go to the game? Did they even try? Huh? Did they even try? Because <laughs> no, for the first three quarters, it was 40 to zero. And then we sent in our fifth string. And we let them score 17 points, and um, but we still left with 65. Yeah, that's because so, y'all probably just put all your plays on the bench. Like, man, don't even wear yourself out. Just let the right. let the JV team exactly. go out. It's fine. Just so they can get some practice. That's what we yeah, did. Just let them go. Get, um, them, get them a little shine. They parents stay at the game. Just oh my God. Exactly. <laughs> now, I watched it on the screen because it was too many parties. I did most of the parties. You know, the old people did most of the parties. And plus the rain. I wasn't I wasn't feeling rain in football, but I still had to root my team on and we celebrated very well. So there you very have nice. it. Five cents for the win. And as long as we beat this other institution that thinks they're the real you, real HU wow. this weekend, oh, it'll be a great yeah. September. I heard that promotion on the radio. That's gonna be something. Oh yeah, that's a, it's always a big rivalry. As always. Leslie, welcome. Hey, Leslie. Hello, 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 hello. How are you? I am good. I am good. How, How was, was your weekend? weekend? It was, it was really good. We did the, um, the Philly Black Wine Festival. We were a vendor there. And, um. I didn't even know was that was a thing. How'd it go? I thought it said Philly. Yeah, Philly. Mm -hmm. Oh, I thought she said Billy. I was like, right. That's Billy? like, oh. who's Billy? I was like, mm -mm. <laughs> oh, no, Nobody. Philly. Yeah, we were up in Philly and uh, it was packed. And I have to say, the Philadelphians come dressed to impress. Because, you know, we'll we'll do a wine, we'll do a wine festival and put on some jeans and maybe throw some heels on with it. But it was like an array of colors and, uh, Bags and hats you. and gloves. I was like, oh, "What? Hats and gloves? Hats? Everything? Everything you can imagine? <laughs> that was there. It was. I mean, it was a really cool event. It was a cool event. So yeah. it was black, like black winemakers. People were pouring black wines. Was it spirits and beer? Or was it just y'all with um, the black part? <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was mostly black winemakers and um unfortunately we were so busy that i didn't get a chance to walk around to like the other tables and um they had the naturally organic blue wine there 
and I wanted to try it and I didn't and the, the wine maker was there and I didn't get a chance to try it all right let's back up table down for a second I've been like thank you wait let's back oh, up the blue wine yes and organic natural I mean she said natural so, and organic, uh-huh. organic natural. Okay, I wanted to make sure it was what's uh, what's the producer and what is the wine actually made of? I'm not sure, but okay. it's blue. It's made of grapes. Um, so they have one in France, and this like this was a big thing, and like there was a bunch of articles about it uh, a few years back. When, it was, uh, yeah. They came out with the uh, blue wine, and it's a particular grape that it grows a certain way and comes out blue ever so often mm -hmm. um and so they can do the fermentation so that it retains its blue color okay now now what you're saying sounds organic now leslie is this what you had was this the same blue wine that you had i don't know see i didn't get a chance to investigate okay. it because we, we were you know we were um working like we were on the plantation there but <laughs> i really wanted I wanted to try it and research it because I remember when it first came out and um, it was blueberry was extract that was added to the one that came out years ago. I don't know what they do now. Oh, well, it's the same. I think it's the same guy who produces it. I'm going to look it up. Okay. Yeah, it was but, a couple different ones. France had one, Spain right. had one. Um, and then there was even a sparkling blue that that's the one I had. And yeah, I've had a spark. I had the sparkling one. Yep. So that would be a great segue for Devon to talk about right. sparkling blue. <laughs> yeah, but they wouldn't even let them call it wine. They had to um the bottles of it that I had from France. It was like a wine like or um like a wine beverage. They had to call it something else. They couldn't just say um sparkling wine. Devon, have you had this blue I don't remember what was on that label. They, my friends bought it for me for my birthday. Um, Leslie, did we got it when we were at that um, wine palace in Monaco? Oh! They, um, Keith and them bought a bottle for me. I didn't drink it until I got back. But let's have the, let's introduce Devon and get her to tell us a little bit <laughs> exactly. about Exactly. <laughs> so I had what was called Blanc de Blue. That was the one I had. Yes, I had that. Now, I actually had it some years ago um, at a trade conference. And, um, you know, I was like, okay. Yeah, I tried it. And then I was like, okay. And I just moved on. At the time, and I, I think it probably was maybe just released then. And um, they were really getting people to come over, trying to get people to come over and try it. So I did. And, you know. Yeah. Because, yeah, that was back in 2016 when. It's a cute little vibe in a cocktail. It. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. I would imagine it'd be it great is, in a cocktail. It, the name of the label is Amour Geneve. I don't think it's Genevieve. Um, Amour Geneve. And it says the world's first naturally blue luxury wine. Interesting. Everybody can't be the first. Okay. <laughs> the fifth iteration of this cannot be the first. Like, what are we doing? The only thing was adding all of us have said Natural. we have had this before. What do you yeah. mean the first? The first what? Right. He says it's the first. Maybe he's the first black winemaker to produce an organic, naturally um, oh. blue wine. Okay. Okay. So Maybe it's the first. Anybody luxury? can say it first. I'm gonna start saying. 
Okay, I'm just throw the word luxury in anything. I guess that's the same as saying um, old vines. Like we just old vines. What, what, what do these words mean? Words yeah. don't mean things mm -hmm. anymore. Right. Okay, that's sure. Fine. <laughs> and so, Devon, before we get into your story, please introduce yourself to everybody and tell tell them what you do. Yes. Hi, everybody. So my name is Devon Hatchet Robinson. I'm also known as the Bubbleista. Um, I am a wine writer, a wine law attorney, a wine um, event um, creator, a wine educator, all the things. Um, I really have integrated wine into my life. Unintentionally, this kind of started happening um, in just about every way that I can think of. Um, I call myself the Bubbleista because I love sparkling wine. Uh, sparkling wine was my gateway wine into wine. Before I started drinking sparkling wine, I wasn't drinking any wine. Um, I just happened to go to a wine tasting. It was free, so I went. I was tasting a bunch of wines. It was a trade-style event, so I know I had access to probably some amazing wines, but I just had no idea what they were. Um, wasn't really enjoying myself again because I had never had wine. Um, and went to the sparkling wine table section. And that was like the first time like wine started making sense to my, my mouth, to my palate. And so, um, you know, I ended up having some wines there that I liked. And then that kind of started my, my for foray into wine. But, you know, sparkling is my thing. I love it. I love all kinds of wines, but I love, love sparkling. So hence the bubbly stuff, my moniker. Cheers. Me too. Cheers to that. Cheers. So were you drinking at all before you discovered your love for sparkling wine? I was drinking cocktails, but I was not drinking wine. You know, I just wasn't. It, um, prior to that, I maybe had wine two or three times because of bottles my parents would bring into the house that they were gifted because we didn't have uh, the kind of household budget that allowed for buying wine. Um, I am the third of four siblings, of four children. So, um, you know, people would gift my parents wine um, for one thing or the other. And, you know, as I got older, I would try a little bit or whatever, but I, I really wasn't drinking any wine before I kind of had that fortuitous day. I was drinking cocktails. Interesting. So they weren't giving the wine to your parents so they'll be able to deal with the four of y'all, were they? <laughs> oh, uh, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> and what city are you in? What city are you located in, Devon? I'm located in Dallas, but I'm a native Houstonian. So um, ah, okay. I'm in Houston all, all the time, so much so that people, some people still think I live in Houston because I'm just there all the time. My parents are still there. Um, my brother and sister-in-law and my nephew are there. Like my core crew of friends are still there. So I'm in Houston all the time. Do you like Texas wine? You can be honest. You know what? I actually do. I, I actually do, too. do yeah. like Texas wine. I really do. Um, I think Texas wines um, get a little bit of a side eye so to speak 
because of where they started from. They, they're not giving given grace for, from where Texas Wine started. Everybody has to start somewhere, right? And, you know, they have been intentionally and progressively um, improving their winemaking techniques, their uh, farming techniques, um, the great varietals that they, you know, are, are growing. And there's some really good wine in Texas. I had, I was so excited. Uh, the name of the winery is Lost Draw. And um, I was at Texon uh, about a week and a half ago, and they had a 100% sparkling uh, minier, and I was in heaven. Like, it was delicious. Whoa. It was, like, really delicious. I was telling everybody, come try it, come try it, come try it. It was so good. So there's some exciting stuff happening in Texas, in my opinion. And, they're, and they are growing the Pinot Minier in Texas? Yes, oh, this, they were growing the must. Oh, okay. From my, right. my understanding is that they were growing it. And it's interesting because I was in another session at this conference. Um, oh, my gosh. I can't remember. I'm sorry, you guys. I can't remember if it was California or Oregon. No, it was California. It was California. Um, they are starting to grow more meaning in, in California. So it seems to be kind of this trend, so to speak, because, you know, 20 years ago, nobody's really talking about Pinot Meunier. Um, but there seems to be kind of a trend that it's being a, a more, um, not just accepted, but more kind of covetable grape to to make wines with. So uh, Yeah, I've had a, a, a champagne that was 100% Meunier, and it was beautiful. It's a beautiful wine when it's done by itself. I love them. I love them, love them, love them, love them, love them. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Can y'all share them brands in the chat if you remember? <laughs> yeah. I want to share them out loud. Good. Yay. <laughs> so you no, said you are a wine law, like an attorney? Yeah. Now, do you work yeah. in wine or did you just put the words together in wine no, law? No, there's an actual, there's an actual uh, segment of, of law called wine law. It's the practice what? of wine law. And what really is, yeah, what it really is is it brings um, other kind of niche areas together um, to help facilitate the business of the law. So you have, you know, contracts that you have to do, like if you have distributor distributor agreements or, um, you know, you might have a licensing deal that needs to be done or um, a big part of it for me is trademarks and, um, you know, labels. And, you know, there are fights between people who feel like, oh, you, your label looks too much like my label, or your logo looks too much like my logo, or you named your wine this, and that's the name of my wine. So, you know, there, there are those disputes that kind of happen from time to time, and sometimes people have to, to rebrand. Are your clients actual producers? Do you include, like, influencers, too? So this is the cool thing, um, at least it's cool to me. <laughs> um, I work, I like to work with branding as well because so a little background on me I used to work for the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office as a trademarks examining attorney so um, it was there that I learned how closely intertwined branding and trademarking is and so I like to get involved in the branding as well so um, I have worked with some influencers before um, I had a, a wine company who was wanting to 
expand to the U.S. And if you're trying to get a trademark in the U.S. from another country, you have to have a U.S. attorney. And I have a client coming up who um, is going to trademark their label. They want to trademark their logo. They want to trademark their name. And they are actually, um, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to give it away because then I know y'all are going to guess because y'all know everything. Um, but they're going to be um, eventually making their own line. So it's important to get the branding and the name and all that stuff locked down early. Um, because the worst thing to do is to start your business and, you know, be humming along and then get that cease and desist letter and somebody tells you, yeah, you got to rebrand. So, um, you know, those are, it's, it's like a little mix of, of people who I, I call clients and, you know, I like it that way. It makes it fun, keeps it interesting. And, and you know, it's in some ways, depending on who I'm working with, it makes me feel like I am making um, a positive impact in the industry. So it's probably one of the last wine bloggers conferences I went to and we were in Sonoma and Napa Valley and mm -hmm. we were visiting Stag's Leap and the whole discussion about the apostrophe S or for some comma to the top um, where the possession would be for that and that court case went on for years for years yeah. of who owned the name so there's definitely value in that mm -hmm. For sure. And one of the services that I offer is a um, proprietary naming service. Um, you know, if you're going to launch a brand, let's really look at what we're going to name it. By we, I'm saying working in partnership with the, with the client. But let's see what we're going to name it so that um, you don't have that issue with Somebody coming along and saying, yeah, nah, you can't use that. It's, it's me. Um, I don't think he would mind me, me sharing because it's, it's, it was public knowledge. But um, did you guys ever think about why um, Mouton Noir changed to Maison Noir? It was, it, was a, it was a trademark dispute. So that's why he had to change, uh, why Andre Hitomac had to change from Mouton Noir to Maison Noir. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that aspect of it, that branding aspect of your business is so important. And I would really love for more influencers even, but brands and, and anybody who's really in the wine industry and wanting to make a real go at being successful in the industry, I would love it if more people started looking at their um, personal and business brands and then putting it on lock and protecting it, doing stuff to brand themselves well, that, so they can protect that. That is um, a very pointed point. Um, and it leads me to a question for you. So the my assumption, and correct me if I'm wrong, wine law wasn't what you sought out when you went to law school. How did you pivot into wine law and being a female and a minority female, how is business trafficked towards you or away from you? How is that whole experience for you? So I know that's um, a couple of questions. A, no, it's a, it's a great question, though. Um, I when I went to law school, 
I thought I was going to practice health law because my undergraduate degree um, is in, I majored in biology and I minored in chemistry. So I thought I was going to practice health law. Um, but then started taking, you know, you go through the first year and those are your, your core classes, right? You know, your contracts, your uh, civil, you know, procedure, all those things that you have to take that first year to give yourself a foundation. Then in your second year, you're able to start kind of taking a few um, um, extra, not extracurricular, y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, the classes that you take that you can explore with is not extracurricular. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank. We're going to keep moving on. So you can take those electives. That's it, elective classes. And um, it really wasn't until my third year of law school, I just kind of, you know, thought, okay, well, let me take this trademark um, or intellectual property class. And so it was uh, trademarks, patents, and copyrights, which are the three, you know, areas of intellectual property. And took that class and loved it. Got the highest grade in the class, everything. I just loved that class. And so that really was the, the trajectory change for me because after that, I started seeking out opportunities to work in, you know, IP law. And um, that's how it ended up eventually going to the Patent and Trademark Office to work as a trademark examining attorney because, you know, it was just, it just clicked for me. And um, the wine law aspect of it, it kind of came along on its own. Um, I wasn't looking for it, it came looking for me. Um, <laughs> I started kind of connecting the dots with stuff because I was doing stuff like trademark law has connections to business in so many ways. And so once you start kind of looking into trademark law, once I started looking into it, you see the other areas or other industries that it's connected to. So I was looking at um, franchising, you know, stuff. I was looking at food and beverage, and it was that. Oh, I even did um, some museum law stuff. And it was when I got hooked into the food and beverage and I started seeing, oh, there's a wine component to food and beverage law. Okay, well, let me check that out and see what's going on there. Oh, okay, so if I, you know, Put this together if I if I do licensing and 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 branding and trademark, which is something I'm already doing, I can put that with these other practice areas of you know uh, contracts and and negotiating and stuff that I already do. And that all that makes up wine law. This is what I need to be doing. So I probably, as far as clients, um, I have to say I would probably be doing a lot better with clients in that area if I talked about it more. I, just, I don't talk about it. I don't, there may be another person out there, well, but they I don't know, know after this other... episode comes out. <laughs> I don't know any other black wine lawyers out there. I, I don't. Um, there are these little small pockets of, um, or not small pockets, but rather small firms that practice that. Like there, a lot of them are in California, of course, wine country. Um, and there are some in New York. Um, they, you know, have their own wine country as well. Um, so there are these firms that actually have that as one of their practice areas of the firm. But I, I don't know of, of a lot of black wine law attorneys, especially 
any that are practicing on their own because I, I my own firm. So, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Looking for somewhere to advertise? Consider the Swirl Suite podcast. Yep, right here. The Swirl Suite is now open for pre-roll advertisements, mid-roll advertisements, or post-roll advertisements. Some of our packages even include a social media shout out. If you're interested in sponsoring one episode or perhaps more, simply email us at swirlsuite at gmail.com. Cheers. Wow, I'm, I'm so impressed. I did not expect the conversation to go that way. I had no idea that you did this. I had no clue. I knew you were a lawyer because somebody told me because I told you a lot of people know you. But I had no idea you were one. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. That's so dope. Yeah, it's fun. I really would like to, um, I'll say it this way. My ideal client is somebody who wants to build something. You know, somebody that I can help um, build whatever their vision is, whatever is a brand that you want to bring to life and put out into the world, you know, let me double dutch in where I can to help you build that. Um, I get really uh, involved with my clients. Um, and so I like knowing that that energy is going somewhere. Um, so, yeah, you know, if, if I if I talk about it more, and I'm going to start talking about it more because uh, another area, well, let's just get that. I would like to talk about uh, that more. I need to talk about it more so that I can start moving in those those kinds of circles more. Um, I really need to do a better job of, again, talking about it, because not even just saying this is what I do, but when somebody says, ooh, you know, we need to talk or I want to talk, circling back with those people and saying, okay, what are we going to talk about? What What do you want to do? Let's, let's get this party started. So um, I Googled you um, and did all my research on you. And I saw that you had this one YouTube video where you were talking about the bubblista and how you had an idea in 2012 and you didn't jump on it all the way. And then in 2015, you went full speed ahead. And I feel like that happens so often with us um, creators, that is. Um, so tell us what yeah. happened. So well, if you'll indulge me, let me back up a little bit. So. While I was at the pen and trademark office, um, the work was very um, solid, solitary. Like you would be in your office, you'd be on the computer, you would, um, you know, tap a button and you'd get your next group of files and you'd be working. And the only time you really came out of your office um, is if you needed to ask someone a question or if you just made it a point to get out of your office. But it was very kind of solitary work. So one day I was taking a break and uh, I was talking to my youngest brother and we were talking about, um, he was asking me, he actually asked me about campaign because by this time, you know, I've been talking to anybody who would listen about champagne. Like I just loved it and I want to talk about it. And so by this time I kind of built a reputation where people would actually call me and say, Hey, have you tried this before? What do you think about it? Or um, I want to take a, a gift to, you know, my boss or my in-laws or whatever, you know, what brands should I look at? Or, you know, I'm going to make dinner for somebody and what champagne should I look at? So by this time, this was happening. And so we were talking and um, 
he was saying, you know, you you are like the champagne diva because he's, you know, crazy like I am. And um, he's like, that's what you want to start calling yourself. You have to start calling yourself champagne diva. So we, we laughed about that. And from there, the conversation kind of kept going. And that's how I ended up with the bubble Lisa because it was his impetus. You know, you got to call yourself something. You got to call yourself something. So uh, we thought about champagne nista first but i was like because i like all the bubbles give me all the bubbles not just champagne and so that, that's how the bubble lisa started so from there um that was like 2009 um in 2011 i started writing and i honestly the reason i started writing i've always loved to write i've always you know been a creative writer at least in my mind i've always been a creative writer um, but I started trying to professionally write really and truly and honestly because I wasn't reading the kind of articles I was interested in seeing. Like I would go to look for something and there, it wouldn't be there. And um, so I wanted to start writing about the things that were interesting to me. So I started writing for a local publication or a regional publication um, that was based in, in Texas. And um, it was just so exciting to me. I would get paid $50 an article. It didn't matter how many words I wrote. I could write 100 or 1,000, but I was going to get $50. But it was exciting for me to see my words published and um, people, you know, read them and would comment and everything. And I just kind of fell into writing about food and wine. Um, I got assigned to go to... Uh, Vogue Clico dinner that was happening in Houston covered that. That was a lot of fun. Um, I got sent to another wine dinner. It was like a really kind of major wine dinner. Um, <laughs> it was major. It was a Bordeaux dinner and it was like a major producer. And I went and covered that. I was only, you know, person of color there. So that's a story for another day how that went. But after I started writing, I was like, okay, now that I've started writing regionally, I want to start, you know, writing bigger stories or bigger publications um, and really start freelancing more. Joined an organization that was supposed to be for food and wine writers, would pitch myself for projects all the time and never got selected, like just never got selected. And I started seeing the same people over and over again getting paid. Um, and these were like big events, like, you know, come to Provence and, you know, write this story. So after that, I said, okay, I'm going to leave this organization and I'm going to start my own blog. I'm not going to, you know, let anybody tell me anymore what I can and can't write. You know, if you don't want to accept my pitch for my story, I'll publish it myself on my own. Um, and... <laughs> Just for the record, I'm a Virgo, and I have issues, and I admitted it, it's Virgo season. I have issues. Um, I had that idea in 2012 that I'm going to start this blog, do this blog. It took me until 2015 to actually launch, because I was trying to build out, you know, blogging was still relatively in its early stages, kind of in, in 2012, and um you know, oh, the, the website needs to look like this. And I hired somebody to 
to build the website and it looked like trash. And so then I had to go back and start it. So it took me all of that time to finally say, okay, forget it. I'm going to buy a template. I'm just going to, you know, pay for WordPress. I'm just going to make it do what it do. I got in touch with someone who did a little bit of graphic work for me. Um, I took some pictures and I'm like, I'm just going to do it. And that's how my blog actually got started. It was like, you know, I just want to write what I want to write. I can still pitch stuff, but if a pitch isn't accepted, there's no reason for that story to still not be seen, read, and, and discussed. So that that's how that whole scenario happened. You call yourself <laughs> the Martha Stewart of Champagne. <laughs> <laughs> when did you discover I that? Have, my friend, Kevin Walker, he's actually a, a really talented cultural strategist, um, even talented to the point where he's predicted things that are going to happen culturally and they've come to fruition. Um, he lives here in Dallas and he is actually the cousin of my youngest brother, the same one who told me to call myself something. One of his best friends, Kevin is his cousin. So when I moved to Dallas, we connected and I would hang out with Kevin and we would do stuff and I would always try to bring champagne into the mix whenever I could. And he was the one who called me that. He's like, you know what? You're like the Martha Stewart of champagne. And we just, you know, cracked up laughing about it. And I was like, I kind of like it. it. It stuck. So that's one of the monikers that I have. Um, a marketing professional that um, I worked with kind of get a hold on what this Bubbleista brand was going to do. Um, he was the one who came up with the term, the champagne evangelist. So that's another <laughs> title for myself. And then Whit, um, Whitney of, of Whitten Wine yesterday, either yesterday or the day before yesterday, called me the, pat the patron saint of bubbles. And I just hollered about that because it's like, okay, I can't even, <laughs> I can't even say anything about that. I love it. But, you know, for me at the root of all of that is it, it makes me feel great because that lets me know I'm really communicating to people how much I love sparkling wine. If people are giving me these names out of the blue, um, then that means that love is coming across. So that's really the most exciting thing for me is that, you know, people are feeling, feeling the vibes I'm giving about sparkling wine and champagne. So you also travel a lot and you eat some really great food. Name a few places that provided like your optimal sparkling wine experience. Optimal sparkling wine experience. Um, you know what? I'll answer that a couple of ways. So optimal sparkling wine experience. I've just had an incredible sparkling wine experience in um, Napa in March. I went down, I was a fellow for the Wine Writer Symposium. And so I went a couple of days early so that I could, you know, just kind of hang out in Napa a little bit. And I went to um, Thomas Keller's Champagne and Caviar Lounge called Regis Ova. Blew me away, just totally blew me away. The food items that they had, like they had these um, tempura chicken tenders and they would serve it with a homemade ranch, but the ranch would have caviar in it. So you dip and you caviar and 
they had these um, cheese puffs that had caviar. They had um, pigs in a blanket with caviar. It was just amazing. And, you know, it, it was a true champagne and sparkling wine lounge because they had all kinds of, of champagnes, um, small producers, grower champagne, um, big houses, the Grand Mark houses, um, you know, of course, Napa and Sonoma sparkling wines, of course, as well, but they had like an extensive number and amount and variety of champagnes and sparkling wines. And so it was just incredible because they would bring out a bite and they bring out a wine. You could order a flight, you can get a glass, get a bottle. It was incredible. So that was like truly one of the highlights. Um, unexpectedly, one of the food and wine pairing highlights I had was back in 2017, I went to Cuba and I went there and like had, like I can't even, this meal, it lives rent free in my head. And I want to say the sparkling wine I had was a uh, Spanish, I think it was a Spanish sparkling wine. I have a picture of the bottle somewhere. It was really good because I had never heard of this producer before. And um, that meal with that wine, it was just incredible. The food was so fresh. The wine was perfect because I let them pick the wine. You know, you wouldn't, just the way Cuba is marketed from a tourism perspective, you wouldn't necessarily think about Cuba as a place for these, you know, Epicurean delights. Um, but I let them pick the wine and that's what they gave me. And it was spectacular. Like I will never forget that wine, that food, that moment, all of it. It, it was, it was incredible. Thank you for that. That, what was the name of the place in, in Napa? It's, I, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly. I can spell it. No, I'll say it and spell it. It's Regis Ova. It's R-E-G-I-I-S, then O-V-A Lounge. And that's actually the name of his, his caviar. He has his own brand of, of caviar. He has his own caviar. And, um, okay. Yes, it, I mean, Thomas Keller, French Laundry. I mean, you know, if anybody can have it, he, he can. Huh. So, um, yeah, it was an incredible experience. I, I really look forward to going back there because the service was superb. It was attentive, not overbearing. It wasn't, you know, you didn't feel like it was a stuffy kind of situation. It was very refined and elegant, but it was very relaxed as well. So there was no pretension. It was, it was amazing. So is this urban myth... Or it had some truth to it that there's such a thing called a poor man's trademark as I, okay. mailing something to yourself, having it stamped by the federal um, government before you, as you going through the um, PTO um, to get a trademark for a brand or whatever. Okay. So before I answer that, allow me to do this, this disclaimer. Sure. Of what course. What you're talking here is information only, and it does not establish an attorney-client relationship for anyone who may be listening to this. Disclaimer um, accepted. That. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if let me say it this way: if I had a client and my client was saying, "Can I do that? Should I do that?" I, I would say, "You're probably 
wasting your time with that. Um, it's kind of a, you know, like you said, a, an urban legend. legend. Yeah, I, you'd have a hard time. It would, I won't say hard, even hard time, but you would have a difficult time making that stand up in court if you were to have some sort of, of litigation or whatever. Um, copywriting something, and if I may, if y'all indulge me just to give a quick primer on intellectual property, the three kinds. Um, you have copyrights, trademarks, and patents. Copyrights are for protecting how you fix an idea, tangible idea. So that's why copyrights cover books, songs, artwork, you know, whatever your idea is, and you put it in some sort of fixed form, um, you know, lyrics, whatever. Copyrights cover that. Patents cover ideas that you have, that you have created mechanisms around. Um, so that's why patents cover inventions because there's some sort of mechanism around it. There's some sort of process to it. And your idea about how the process works with bringing your idea to life is what patents protect. Out of all three of the different types of trademark, I mean, uh, three different types of intellectual property, trademarks is the only one that requires you to be in commerce. So that's why trademarks are so important because it's around money, right? You got to be in commerce. So trademarks cover uh, things like your business name, tagline, slogan, your logo, things like that that you are using in commerce in furtherance of your business or building your brand. Um, and so I'm saying all that to say when I went and worked for the Patent and Trademark Office, before I could even touch my first application, I had 13 weeks of training because the laws, there are lots of laws around trademark law, but um, there, it's deceptively simple. You can go online and fill out your trademark uh, application and um, you may be successful with it, but you'd be better off really learning like what goes into it, what's required, why, um, if you have time to do that. If you don't have time to do that, that's when you get a, an attorney, you want to have hire an attorney. But um, if you're going to really do something with your business and you want it to something long-term, you're going to have a, a, a hopefully have a long um, lifeline of success with it, then don't shortchange yourself. Don't, do, don't shortcut. Um, copyrights are really inexpensive to get. Um, it's less than $100 to get a copyright. Um, trademarks are a little bit more expensive because there are classifications. You have to pay for the trademark application and then each classification that you want to get, you have to pay for as well. There are 45 classifications. The first 25 are, um, excuse me, the first 25 are goods. The final 20 are services. So you have to pick the proper classifications, all the classifications. Each classification is a separate application. So that's why I said trademarks are a little more expensive because then you really start investing. Um, patents are like, you know, we're talking thousands and thousands of dollars, depending on what kind of patent you get and what, what all is involved. Um, it's a very intricate process. So if you're... <laughs> able to whatever you're able to do that's not a shortcut do that 
because that's what's going to serve you in the long run. Uh, let me tell you this story really quick about a client I had. I had a client call me and she had been in business for three years. She had a beauty products line and she had been in business for three years and got a cease and desist letter from one of her clients who trademarked the name of the client's company, started the same kind of business and then sent her a cease and desist. People are cold-blooded. People don't care. People see opportunity or money and they, they jump on it. Um, so that's one thing that I really want to talk about, especially to creators of color, entrepreneurs of color. Sometimes things come to us so easily and we just kind of dismiss it and think, oh, it's not a big deal. You know, I just, you know, I just came up with a way to solve world peace. It's not a big deal. It's easy. And then we don't protect it. We don't try to, you know, brand ourselves with it or, or capitalize on it. Then somebody else comes along, sees how valuable it is, and then they capitalize on it. It's better to spend the money investing in your business than defending your business. You know, so um, again, I know, you know, parts of, parts of protecting your business with intellectual property is an investment, but especially with trademarks, trademarks are really an asset to your business because you can sell a trademark separate and apart from your business. You can license a trademark and get revenue from it. One of the um, like brilliant ideas that exemplify this of recent times was, um, who was the designer that did off-white? He, he passed away a couple of years ago. Virgil Abloh. Virgil. That, that's it. Virgil Abloh. Thank you, Tanisha. That's it. So what he did, which is so brilliant, and I just wish more of us would do this. So when he was getting ready to go into partnership with Off-White, he they, they wanted to do a 50-50 partnership. So what he did was he trademarked the name and then licensed it back to Off-White. So we have a 50% 50-50 partnership on this clothing line. We'll split the profits 50-50, but guess what? You have to pay me my licensing fees every year to be able to use it in conjunction with these clothes. And I have the right as the of the of the trademark to end this licensing agreement anytime, or I can renegotiate it, or I can do whatever I want to with it. Because you can't, you can control what you own. So he owns it, so he can control it. And that's the one thing I would like for more of us to to understand and grasp and, and move in the direction of, you can't control what you don't own. So it was brilliant for him to be able to do that because he created a separate revenue stream for himself off the same deal. Smart. I have, I have two questions. Um, they have nothing to do with each yes. other. The first one is like a ballpark, okay. <laughs> <laughs> a ballpark. What would be like the total cost for um, an influencer or a brand to trademark their, their business, their name? So it depends on that. That's the favorite lawyer answer, right? It depends. It depends on um, kind of, again, going back to what, how many classifications 
you want to use it's it's two hundred fifty dollars. That's the, the trademark application fee that's set by the USPTO. So that's money that they get. And Uncle Sam is going to get his money. Um, so for every classification you have, it's two hundred and fifty dollars. Um, <laughs> I once had somebody who wanted to apply for all forty-five, and it was like eleven thousand dollars or something, but. Um, that did not work out for a, a bunch of reasons. But um, so it'd be $250. And then it depends on what attorney you get and how much you want them to do. Do you want them to just file the application for you? Um, do you want them to um, manage the process? Um, you know, what is it that you need help with? So it really kind of depends on what all you need. And again, what part of the country you're in. That's another thing I'm glad I said that. You can be anywhere in the country and get a trademark attorney anywhere in the country because it's federal law. So you don't have to, like with some practice areas, you have to get an attorney from that state if you're in that state. But for trademark law, you can get an attorney from anywhere in the country. Um, so it depends on where you are and where the attorney is and what their fees are and what you want them to do um, and, and how much you want to trademark because each, not only is each classification a separate fee, but each type of trademark you want to get is separate. So a logo is going to be a separate fee. Wording is going to be a separate fee business name is going to be a separate fee. So those things are all separate. So again, like I said, Uncle Sam's going to get his money. It just depends on how much you want to give him and what you want to do. And another thing that I tell people is just start somewhere. Even if you don't have enough money to do all the stuff that you want to do, start somewhere. You can always add on. So let's say you have three classifications that you want to register under. Start with one if you don't have enough money for all three and then just add on and add on and add on from there my second oh question. and i'm sorry and, oh, I really, oh, oh oh go ahead go ahead you know i'm sorry <laughs> i honestly kind of really didn't answer your question so i could no you, you did though range. you did okay. okay i got it i got um, it yeah okay yeah um Thank you for that. That was, oh my gosh, this is so informative. Um, my second yes, question thank is, thank you very and much. You, and you may not know this, but I feel like you might though, because you're a lawyer. Um, why do you think Diddy gave the publishing back to his bad boy artists? What is his long game? Because I don't see him doing this out of the kindness of his heart. What do you think his end game is? So let, let's just keep it a buck. So we've seen Diddy throughout you know, his his career, his journey. Um, there, I'll say it this way, there always to be, seems to be some sort of motiv motivation or strategy behind stuff that he does. Um, let's also keep it a buck. It's, it's typically stuff that he does with himself at the forefront of, of the thinking, like what's going to benefit me. Um, I think it's interesting because what he, this is, some of the artists were 20 years and some were 30 years or something like that. Um, that's a long time to make money off of someone 
but it's a longer time to deny someone to make that money for themselves. So I feel like there's some sort of, I don't think this is just something he's doing out of the generosity of his heart and he's had a change of heart. And, oh, I, you know, now I understand I'm supposed to, to do X, Y, and Z because, um, you know, by some accounts, he's still capitalizing on stuff that creators are doing. I don't know if anybody saw this or remembered this. This was during the um, pandemic. But he had, it was some kind of promotional contest he was running. And people were, to enter, you had to submit your stuff. Like it was artwork and your songs and lit, you know, all this stuff that you had to submit to win. And we've all seen what happens when you win a contest with Diddy. Um, and so I, like when I would see this and I would see people talking about it, I was like on my soapbox real hard and heavy th during the pandemic because, you know, I didn't have anything else to do anyway. But um, I would be going on posts and talking and, you know, are you submitting this stuff? And do you know you're giving away your right, you know, when you submit this stuff and he, he can do whatever he wants to with it and you don't have ownership over it. And so he's been you know, consistent, if nothing else, with how he has managed, run his business and how he has um, controlled the talent that funds his, his business. Um, just, ooh, just recently, that Act Bad song that he came out with, there was a, a woman who actually put out a song like a year or so ago called Act Bad. And there was some, you know, she was upset about that because the songs, they weren't exactly the same, but you could, the feel of the songs were similar. But in that, he knows, okay, well, she ain't going to sue me unless she, you know, has the money to be able to do it and that sort of thing. So there's something behind it. I wonder if there's some sort of tax implications in there because you're offloading an asset. Um, it, it, I, I feel I feel like at the root of it is some sort of money situation. You know, there's some advantage financially there for him to do it. It's not just, you know, I'm, I'm being generous. That's what I thought too. What is everybody drinking? Is everybody drinking bubbles because the bubbly says here? Why? Well, it's probably really late. Because it's, it's midnight. What? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be playing with my emotions system. over here. I'm sorry. I'm drinking champagne today. I'm drinking um, champagne moussard. Can y'all see that? Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. It's Very nice. Good. It's a great, easy sipper. Glennis and Leslie, what are you drinking? My old staple. What's your staple? Oh, I love that. That's on there. Is it good? I'm not good. It's really. It's a blanket, a blanket de la mm -hmm. um, So, which is similar to a cremant, but it's just phenomenal. And it's it. the dry. It's not the ancestral, which is a sweeter. Um, version of the blanket. 
Kayla moved something. Duly noted. I'm going to pick up some because I, I, I've seen it from time to time. And just and it's know. very, very reasonable because a lot of people yeah. don't know about but it. It, yes. it has not driven the price up. Yep. So yeah. I keep bottles of this on hand. Mm, yep. Okay. That's a recommendation I like right there. <laughs> Oh my God, I'm feeling so privileged. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm too tickled. I have um Stuyvesant Reserve. It's a, do you love it? I do enjoy it. I so I had a bottle sent to me one time and they broke my bottle. This was oh no. Real, real, this, summer so i just need to try to order another one mm. well i know this great place you can order from this is the vino concierge the wine concierge <laughs> <laughs> um i'm drinking a sparkling prosecco nice um, who is the yes, rose uh Okay. Um, out of Italy. I don't know. Uh, I got it from Costco. It's a rose brute. It is lovely. It is lovely. You know, I, just, I did a video a couple of weeks ago about um wines from Costco. Huh. Masatina, can you spell that? Yes. M A S O T T I N A. It is fifteen dollars at Costco. That's what I like. To it is lovely. lovely. I wish the Costco around the corner from me so. But Montgomery County and these wine laws, I mean mm. liquor laws. Uh, <laughs> Just, uh, um, so Montgomery one, County, none of the Costco's have um, liquor or wine or beer. They're dry. It's not. It's only wine. in D.C. and Virginia that yeah. allows it. It's only in D.C. and Virginia. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. When I travel, when I travel, I go to Costco if, if I'm traveling in the states and they have a costco i go there i've gotten some incredible wines from costco um when i was in santa rosa in 2021 i'm you know what i'm myself today remembering these dates um i went to costco and found a 2004 um heisic rosé and it was just sitting there just like, hey, what you doing? I was like, you want to come home with me? And it said, yeah, girl. I said, so I have found some amazing stuff at Costco, like in California, um, in Arizona. I was in Arizona recently and got some um, great sparklers. Like, I'm going to go to Costco if there's one where I'm traveling. Sarita, I have one question. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go for it. Um, Devon, have you noticed the quality of bubbles have been improving? Um, like you were, you were afraid. Well, I'm just speaking for myself. A while ago, you'd be afraid of the selection, but now, um, it seems like there's more of an effort in the production of bubbles. Have you noticed that? I really feel like the producers that really care about wine, care about sparkling, are really ramping it up. Oregon is getting ready to start 
for making more sparkling wine. Heard that from the proverbial horse's mouth at the conference. Um, you know, Oregon already makes amazing wines, right? And so now they're going to move more into sparkling. There's some sparkling coming out of Oregon right now, but they're like allegedly really going to ramp it up. I think people, producers, well, I'll say it both ways. I think people in terms of the consumer are looking for, you know, high quality bubbles, higher quality bubbles. And so I think the producers are responding in kind. Um, and then, like I said, you do have some producers that are just like, you know, I can't rest unless I make something amazing. I think about people like um, Cedric Mousse and um, Lahair. Um, you know, those are people who are committed to making amazing sparkling wines or, or champagnes, rather. Those are two champagne producers. I do think sparkling wines are on the uptick in terms of the number of, of producers who are making good sparklers. So it's exciting. I'm, exciting to, I'm excited to see what um, Oregon's going to do. I'm going to be out there. I'm planning to go to Finger Lakes soon. Our good sis, Chad McCoy, was at the conference and she was on her East Coast wine and bubbles, you know, soapbox. And um, there's an organization that I'm, I'm supposed to be getting involved with, a wine organization on the East Coast. And so I want to get out to Finger Lakes and um, definitely check out those wines. So I think that was a long windbag way <laughs> of saying, yes, I think there are more options for higher levels of bubbles um, to kind of meet the consumer demand and meet the desires of, of the producers. Oh, I, I just, I went to Italy in June and I got to taste Prosecco Superiore DOCG Proseccos and it's like, blew my mind. They have a style called Fofondo, uh, which is also, they also call it uh, Sui Lieviti and it is Prosecco that stays on the leaves, like they leave it on the leaves. And they're delicious. They're just, I was blown away by the wines I had. I had some incredible wines that unfortunately a lot of them are not yet available, but they are interested in, in getting more of their stuff to the U.S. And so um, I'm excited about, I'm excited about the ones that are here and I'm excited about what's to come. So yeah. I think the future looks bright for sparkling wine and champagne production. Thank you, Divine. Oh, my last question was, um, how do people get in touch with you if they want to take advantage of your your services regarding wine law? So um, <laughs> I have a Instagram account that is just my name. It's Divine D.E. Hatchet. So D-A-V-O-N, D as in David, E as in Elizabeth, Hatchet, H-A-T-C-H-E-T-T. And that's really the easiest way to get in touch with me for anything, because on that Instagram account, I, I list my other accounts. So the law account handle is listed there. The bubbleista handle is listed there. It's kind of like a catch-all for, for all the stuff that I'm kind of involved in. Um, and so, you know, if people shoot me a DM there, 
um, they can. We can set up a consultation call. Um, I used to do complimentary consult consultation calls. Um, I, I don't really do those <laughs> anymore. Uh, but it's not like the, the fee that I'm charging is not some exorbitant fee. So, and also the fee that I do charge is you can credit it towards any services that you may be getting at a certain time frame. So, um, yeah, just DM me there. I do not have, I'm in the process of changing, I'm rebranding myself. And so the name of my new firm or the rebranded firm is going to be um, Cultural Capital Law. And so it's centered around getting people who are contributing to the culture wherever they need to go with their vision and their business. We're gonna do you know, strategies, there's gonna be more branding, um, contracts, drafting, uh, licensing agreements, you know, even non-disclosures. I had somebody reach out to me about that recently who's in the wine industry. They want to discuss a project with somebody and um, they want to get an, an NDA done. So those are the things, those elements that I'm, I'm bringing to this new practice that um, I, I'm hoping <laughs> I'm hoping to not get into the situation I was with my blog in, in three years. I'm talking to y'all and saying, you know, it's, I'm laundering, but I'm, I'm well on my way to that and hoping to have that side up, the new side up before the end of the year. Can I um, share some sisterly um, unsolicited advice? Please. Does this need to come out or can it stay in? It can stay in Okay. to the point where we think it needs to come out. Um, there are times, especially with black women, because we are high achievers and not only that we are high achievers, but throughout our entire lives, we have been taught, don't go out there and embarrass us. You know, you have your stuff together. And then we have our white male counterparts who wake up and think, well, I can be an astronaut because, <laughs> because I watched Apollo 11. Yeah, sure. And then they go out there and they brand themselves as an astronaut and later get a ticket to NASA, right? Yes, indeed. So I would say to you, do not let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yes. It doesn't have to be done, done. You just need to get started. Because if you look back on where you started and where you are now, you have made several iterations to improve. So don't let, don't, it doesn't have to be fully baked. It can just be started. Done I, is I better than perfect. Whole, yes, Leslie. I receive that wholeheartedly. I receive that. I do. I really do. So thank you for that. Because yeah, I'm I'm in a uh, a new at the beginning of the year. I talk about not being in a new season, but being in a new era, because eras can last as long as you want them to last. You know, seasons 
you know, start and end, um, but you can be in a new era as long as you want. And so this new era, I, I am working on the things that I need to for both professional and personal growth. And so that is why I can wholeheartedly receive that because um, just like you were saying, Tanisha, you know, perfect is the enemy of good. And so I, I just need to be out there. So that's one thing that I, I am changing as well. Um, you know, not flying below the radar anymore. And I asked you how people can contact you because I'm going to be one of them. So you said January, <laughs> it's, it will, in, uh, you don't know me very well, but I'm a, I'm a woman of my word. If I say I'm going to email you in January, you're going to hear from me in January. Girl, she's going to do so. it tomorrow. She's going to win No, I'm going to follow her rules. She said January, so I'm going to stick with January. Listen, but, you might need no, to be, you might be the little push. You you know, you it might need to be November. True. Don't don't wait on that. Email me anytime. Okay. Um, contact me anytime. Don't don't wait for me because I I really am. I'm serious about moving forward with this. I've collected um, verbiage. I've collected some images. Now it's just a matter of mapping it out. Um, but just kind of thinking about what you were saying, Leslie. I'm thinking maybe now I just need to set up the the homepage and a contact me form and then build out the rest. Yeah. Well, damn, that was, that was a, that was a great conversation, man. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad I enjoyed it. That was great. Um, we just can play a short game. Um, okay. All right. And this is for everybody. So everybody has to do this. Okay. Name the first Love thing it. that comes to your mind. And I'm going to give you, we just going to do five. I'm just do five. We just want to be random. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm First one, fried chicken. Popeyes. What do you, I mean, what do you mean? Chicken <laughs> Popeyes. Yes. Were you? Okay. I'm okay. not going to even lie. The first thing I thought was champagne because I love champagne and fried chicken together. Okay. That's, that's, that's the first thing I thought. <laughs> I guess I'm next Miss Nellie's. Yeah. Nobody mm -hmm. on here would know unless you're from Holland, Virginia. Uh, Route 189. She made the best fried chicken in the world. Uh, mine, Roman Rooster. That's the to me the best fried chicken oh, in DC. Oh yeah, that's that is good. Yeah. yeah. Taking okay. notes, Roman Rooster. Yep. Okay. Next one. <laughs> Beignets. New Orleans. Mess. <laughs> Out of sugar. Do I have to say the first thing? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you do now because now we want to know the first thing. Yeah, what was the first thing? Too long. You done took at least six so, or seven breaths. Mm -mm. The first thing, honestly, the first thing I thought of was overhyped, depending oh. on where they come from. Ooh. Oh, okay. Certain certain places, you know, that everybody loves to get beignets from. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but on the flip side of that, I've had like incredible crab beignets like they were amazing um i've had a rice beignet that was really good so depending on where they're from they can be overhyped they just need to be good beignet uh for me a must i have to if, if i ever see them on a menu i'm getting it 
I'm not a dessert person, but if I if I see beignets, beignets aren't really a dessert. I don't know what they I don't are. I feel like that's dessert. So they look like that's with coffee. No, well, it depends uh, on where well, you are whether they're dessert. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but yeah. I just so never think are. of it like dessert. Like I, that's Me not either. a dessert that I'm like, oh, I want a beignet for dessert. No, it's like a yeah. little, mm-hmm. nah. just like a donut. It's like a I treat. Look at it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where is the next question? Oh, okay. Uh, let me do a wine. Um, Cava. Not champagne. Love it. Ooh, that was shady. Tanisha? Mm. But I love it. I'm here for it. Though. Right. <laughs> I love it. New appreciation. I didn't oh, care I for that. it before. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's there. Ooh. Catalonia. Wow. Wow. Y'all are, y'all are killing me. You guys are killing me. Because well, my answer is my my answer is literally best friend. Kava is my best friend. <laughs> and that's why I knew you picked Kava mm-hmm. out of everything else. Right, out of all the other sparkling. Right. She said, Kava, right. what do you guys think? <laughs> the girl I mean, I can't it's even easy get Kava. to find. Like, what are you talking about? It's easy to find it's and like, it treats me good. I mean, what <laughs> what else do you need in a best friend? What are we doing? <laughs> that's like saying, does my butt look big? No, it doesn't. <laughs> right. It's fine. Oh my gosh! Turn to the side and sit on it. It's fine. Oh, okay, fine. We will finish up with champagne. Don't always understand the hype. Did you just curse at me? What do you mean? <laughs> what? Like literally, like those words that you just said were interchangeable. Impressive <laughs> and. I say impressive oh. because I like the way the French cornered the market about how and when you can use it. I I think it was just a a boss impressive business move and they cornered. So and that was all on accident. I want to give right. credit for being strategic, but it was an accident. It just happened well, to be it's impressive. Where kings were coordinated <laughs> and they were like, Oh, what's y'all wine that y'all be drinking around here? Champagne, I right, give us some of that. <laughs> Impressive. <laughs> you know some of that? For me, it's like it's it's uh family and tradition, mm-hmm. but also some tradition that needs to be changed, uh shifted, tweaked. That I don't know if I'll see it in my lifetime, <laughs> but I would love to see a black chef a black what i'm sorry winemaker the person who makes the wine at a uh, at a prestigious house at i don't know if i necessarily say prestigious i mean so yes but i would love to see one at a well-loved champagne house whether it's you know big small whatever i would love to see someone you know, a black person, African descent in that role. I would I would love to see that that would be a dream to come true. Um, I also would like to see Champagne um, welcome in more types of consumers. I'll say it that. I would love that. I would love, you know, to be more people to be brought in. That's a whole nother podcast episode. Because right. my, my, <laughs> right. my answer, uh, my answer was unattainable. 
Ooh. I mean, please, please expound on that a little bit. I would. Love I to mean, hear I feel like the really good ones we don't have access to. No, you don't. Um, even when we go to champagne events, it's like, oh, where can I find sure. this? Oh, this is a small house. What? So I'm gonna taste this. <laughs> I'm gonna get all excited about it, and I can't find it anywhere. I can't even order it anywhere. I have to be mm-hmm. there. So I have to be privileged enough to to be there and taste it with you. So that's, that's why I said champagne's fault. That's also America's fault and the laws of importing wine to America and how mm-hmm. hard it is. There mm-hmm. are so many produce. Now let me put my I live in France hat on. <laughs> yeah. Um there are so many producers that would love to be in America and that would love to bring their wines to consumers. But taking wine in general to America is not like oh let me just send this wine to america it's you have to go through laws and it's like 50 different countries each state is different and then within each state then you have the different laws within each county i mean y'all know all of this i'm right. saying this more so for the recording aspect of it um but you have a small producer who's like oh well i produce maybe a hundred thousand bottles while that sounds like a lot trying to spread those out over 50 states right and the cost for that and then what their wine would end up costing once it gets into your hands, because all of those other steps, we're talking the three-tier system, all those people have their hands out. A wine that I know I just bought over the weekend for 30, for 30 euro, $35. Okay, by the time you all get in 70, are you buying it? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and that goes back to the um, Sarita's initial unattainable unattainable yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 70 is not attainable by the large public. 30 is right. Right. i just bought a bottle over the weekend for 30 i mean fantastic blanc de mounier 100 um mounier that thing was Ooh. fantastic as a new producer um i mean not new to the world new to me yeah mm-hmm. um, and it was amazing mm-hmm. okay so what you're really saying is i need to come to champagne and then just bring you about two Two extra suitcases, three Clearly. extra suitcases. <laughs> well, guys, this was amazing. Devon, thank you so much for joining us. This was fantastic. I enjoyed this so much. Thank you. I'm so happy to be invited to be part of this. This has been amazing. So thank you for having me. Of course. Guys, any announcements, any special events going on? I have an announcement. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, so we have our fall wine club coming out and our guest curator is um Desiree Harris Brown Harrison Brown so we're excited about that and um our focus this quarter Latin X Hispanic Mexican winemakers I I would say 80% of the wines that we selected this month are either owned by or produced by. And we're super excited. And we have actually a sparkling from Brazil mm. in the club. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nice. So very excited. And we have a wine club pickup. And usually our wine club pickup is just for our guests that are in the club, but we decided to open it up to everybody so if you were ever on the fence about joining the club september the 29th in columbia maryland 
just stay tuned. We'll put it on the website. You can come and for the low, low, low price of $20, taste the wines in our wine club. And you can decide if it's worth the hype, but I can tell you now it is. So. Nice. And that's September 29th. What time, Leslie? Uh, six to eight. Oh, and also uh, I'm collaborating with the wine concierge to pair $15 meals with $15 wines from the wine concierge. I love it. And I believe that is a wrap, everybody. Cheers. Thanks for joining the Swirl Suite. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, leave us five stars, and leave us a comment. We love ratings. Also, be sure to follow all of us on social media. Myself at Buy Me Up, Glenn is at Vino Noir, Girl Meets Glass is Tanisha, Vino301 is Leslie, and you can follow the Swirl Suite podcast account at Swirl Suite. The Swirl Suite is now a part of the Alive Podcast Network. This episode has been edited and produced by Vine Me Up Media. <laughs>